podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Here comes Bosco's Boys, here comes Bosco's Boys, right down Bosco's Boys Lane. Santa Claus, Scott, and all the boneheads on Willie's crazy train. Chauncey's chewing on the mistletoe, oh, what a beautiful noise. Grab a brew and talk KSU, cause here comes Bosco's Boys. Here comes Bosco's Boys, here comes Bosco's Boys. Here comes Bosco's Boys. Boom, the boys are back, and the streak lives on, maybe for one day. This quite quite possibly could be the final episode in the greatest podcasting streak of all time. Just could be. Stay tuned. Who knows? K-State men's basketball has a massive matchup tonight. Tonight on, oh God, yeah, Longhorn Network, Um, I'll say this, stay tuned on Twitter, the hero who helped live stream all the games down in the Grand Caymans, he might, uh, he might pull off a little bit of magic and have that game for those of you who May not have Longhorn Network tips off at 8 p.m. Texas. The uh, newest uh, top 25 rankings have not been released. They're currently at number six. They're not going to fall, but K-State will be playing them tonight. But before we do that, I mean, Jerome Tang, the man himself, just so happened to get his first Top 25 win at K-State and his first Big 12 win at K-State. But before we get into that, as always, we are sponsored by Manhattan Brewing Company. The most delicious craft beer in the entire state is brewed right downtown in Manhattan on Points Avenue at Manhattan Brewing Company. Not only do they have that great beer, they also have one of the best tap rooms I've ever been in. Always great decor. Got a couple TVs. The music's always on point. They got board games. They also have a fully stocked bar full of signature cocktails if if you insist you're not a beer drinker. But I promise you, I promise you, they have something that you would like. So... The next time you're in Manhattan, go to Manhattan Brewing Company, go to the source, go to the tap room, have a couple points, take a couple crowlers home, take some four packs home, and then as always, head into your local liquor store, tell them to carry Manhattan Brewing Company four packs, or you'll boycott them. Alright, let's get into the game versus West Virginia. First off, I went, it was my final sporting event of 2022, uh, and I'm, I'm so happy that I did. First off, the crowd, I want to give the chairbacks, the alumni, the old people, whatever you want to call them, I want to give a lot of credit to the non-students. 
I was shocked by how many folks were there. I think that they're probably, I think it was probably 85, 90% full of the uh, non-students. It was an announced 8,200 folks. Uh, So uh, right at 82% capacity with the new 10,000 seat capacity. Maybe it's 11,000. I don't know what the new uh, capacity is. They need to update uh, some of the stuff online. Uh, I think it might be 11,000. I think the new capacity is 11,000. So 82,000 folks showed up to the game. And like I said, I think about 85-90% of the seats were filled uh, in the non-student section. student section was about a third filled. Again, this is not shade at the students. It's break. Uh, So many of them were in New Orleans. Uh, But when you have 35,000 K-State fans in New Orleans, you're still able to put 82,000 in the gym for that game on New Year's Eve. Uh, That's a credit to K-State basketball fans. I I think the doom is going to return. Uh, The only downside is... What the next home game is a 6 p.m. Tuesday night tip with Oklahoma State, uh, and then you get 6 p.m. with KU, followed by a Saturday 1 p.m. with Texas Tech. I'm going to tell you this right now. If K State one two three four five, if K State were to go three and two, including a win over KU, I think that Texas Tech game at seven. PM, or at 1 p.m. on a Saturday on the 21st could be absolutely wild. That get you, you have the home game versus KU on a Tuesday, which is always pretty doomy. That game versus Texas Tech, and then a the following Saturday versus Florida at 5 p.m. on a Saturday, folks. Uh, that is going to be the true test of if the octagon of doom is going to return to Bramlage Coliseum. That three-game stretch. Uh, so I, w- I was very pleased by the amount of folks there. Now, I will say this. I will say this. I think that similar to the basketball team, I think early on it was tough to get the juice going. As much uh, credit as I'm giving the non-students, um, there's still a bunch of old people, you know, it's still a bunch of kids, it's still a bunch of folks who are not going to be the instigators of noise and of uh, juice. The students that were there, they were loud and engaged from the jump, and then I got to give credit to Jireen Dowling and the folks on the bench, Curtis Kelly, the GA, and some of the walk-ons, they, in critical moments, they were making sure to hype up and really urge the alumni, the families, to get up, stand up, and make some noise in some critical moments. It was not a wall of sound from tip-off until the end of the game, uh, but it got loud in there at a couple points. And again, for a game on New Year's Eve, while there's 35,000 folks down in New Orleans, uh, Louisiana, thousand plus miles away uh and students on break not a full student section i think that the crowd uh brought it when they needed to now to the team on the floor uh missing david gusan uh was not fun it was not fun especially when you had uh 
to deal with a lot of fouling. And, I, and I'll say this. I know last Friday I, I, I sat here and said, oh, it's a different type of West Virginia. They're not going to press the entire game. It's not going to be a free throw shooting competition. It's not going to be a ton of fouls. You know, West Virginia's evolved a little bit past that. While they didn't press for 40 minutes, um, and even when they did, it, it was a lot more token pressure than actually truly going after you. I mean, it was just an old school football game on the court. Oh, timeout. One other thing before I get to it. Uh, I want to give kudos to K-State's, uh, I don't know whose idea it was, but first off, the uh, game ball presentation to Keontae Johnson when he hit uh, from the Radford game because he went over 1,000 points, joined the 1,000-point club. That was great. Then the uh, tribute, the uh, love shown to Bob Huggins because he joined uh, the college basketball or the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame back in September. Great touches. All right. But yeah, it, it was. It was a ton of fouls. A ton of fouls. Uh, if you... West Virginia had 27. 27 fouls. K-State had 26. They combined for 53 fouls. Is my math right on that? Yeah, my math is correct. 53 fouls. So, I mean, man... If I if I didn't have enough egg on my face, you know, going back to the final episode of 2022, one of the final things I talk about, saying, "Oh yeah, you know, it's it's a you know it's an evolved West Virginia. It's not going to be a rock fight out there." No, it was a rock fight. K State having two players foul out, West Virginia having three players foul out. So um, the game started off uh, about as poor on offense as it can be. I think going back to it, I mean, what? It was 8 to 1, 13 to 1. It was it was 13 to 1, and then it got up to 15 to 3. We were down by 12 early. It was in double digits basically the entire first half. It did not start good. The offense was very poor for the for about the first four, five, six minutes of that first half. Now, you dug an absolutely massive hole. You're only able to get it down to 11 by halftime. And I'm in there thinking, man, how's this going to go? But sure enough, we come out with our hair absolutely on fire. On fire. In the second half. And I thought we were going to actually get to a point where we were able to run away with it a little bit. I thought, okay, this is ultimately going to turn out to be a somewhat comfortable type win. Um, But we just weren't able to put West Virginia to bed. And there's a lot of reasons to that and we'll talk about it here momentarily. Uh, but sure enough, goes to overtime. Uh, we are in a ton of foul trouble. So are they. I didn't think we were going to uh, get it done. I thought, man, if this goes to overtime, the momentum's going to be all West Virginia's. Uh, but sure enough, we end up winning by six. Relatively comfortable overtime. You know, uh, West Virginia did score 10 points in overtime. We scored 16. 
We got out to a early four-point lead, got it up to six. West Virginia never got it back within a possession. We hit some free throws late. We get some massive made dunks late. Um, all in all, it was a salvaging of what was a pretty shitty morning for K-State uh, sports fans. Uh, let's get into the issues. Um, ultimately, when you look at the stat sheet, you're like, oh, you know, relatively even game. You know, West Virginia shot 41% from the floor. We shot 42. They shot 22% from three. We shot 18. They shot 52% on 38 free throws. We shot 61% on 34. Here is where things really start to turn their ugly head. 50, 50 rebounds to 36. They grabbed 21 offensive rebounds and 29 defensive rebounds. Now, we really turned on our offensive rebounding in the second half. We got our share of offensive rebounds in the second half. And that, of course, coincided with uh, the comeback. But folks, uh, I am legitimately concerned about rebounding for this team. This has been something, even throughout the non-conference, it wasn't quite up to the standard I hoped we were going to see. You know, Jarrell Colbert redshirting, David Gusan not being available. You really had to lean on Ish Masood playing a lot of minutes at the five. Um, a lot of stuff kind of lines you up and walks you up to the conclusion of, yes, this was going to be a tough night on the boards. Uh, but it was jarring. It was jarring. Now, I did not do independent research on this. I'm going off of uh, Jerome Tang's comments uh, to Brian Smoller uh, post game, but he said that you know it's not like West Virginia has been this crazy great offensive rebounding team. Now, if that's the case, that really worries me moving forward. Uh, you know, you had nightmares. You know, thinking back to the. K-State KU game in Bramlage Coliseum last year where David McCormick grabbed seemingly 15, 16, 17 offensive rebounds all by himself. I don't know if that was actually the case. Um, but it, it really was tough to watch at times. You would get excited for having a great defensive possession, forcing up a bad shot, and then sure enough, they grab the rebound, get a bucket, or we foul. They were getting four shots on a possession a few times. It was uh, it was ugly. It, it was flat out ugly, and and it probably was maybe one of the ugliest aspects of any singular game in the Jerome Tang era. Now, all of that coupled with us shooting eighteen percent from three, we've typically been. A salty three-point shooting team. Coupling that with only shooting 62% from free throw. Which again, uh, I'm much more about uh, free throw rate. Getting to the free throw line than free throw percentage. But again, uh, 
when they get to the free throw line more than you, that free throw percentage does come into play, only going 62%. Luckily, they only went 53%. Um, but you couple all of the these stats. You look at the stats, what K-State did versus what West Virginia did. Again, they had a 14-point lead at one point. You think to yourself, man, how do you pull that off? Ultimately, it came down to making big plays on defense. We were able to turn them over 20 times compared to just our 11. Again, 11, I don't think anyone ever wants to be in double digits, but you know, 11, not bad. Anything under 15 with this team, uh, well, no, I'm not going to say that. Anything under 12 for this team, uh, I'm going to call a success. So you turn them over. You're able to get 13 steals. You have 19 assists to their 12. They only stole the ball four times. So a lot of our turnovers were self-inflicted. We took the ball from them 13 times. That's how you do it. That's how you grit these games out. And again, with a team that, yes, highly successful in the non-conference. 11-1 in the non-conference. But for a team that, again, has only been together for like four months For them to show that resiliency, to show that drive, to show that hunger and desire to get a W. When they don't know how to win a Big 12 game as a team. You know, that that was the trouble with some of these Bruce Weber teams um, at the end. You know, last year's team, they didn't know what it looked like to grit out and win Big 12 games. They didn't know how to win games. You know, early on in Dean Barry and Cam's career, they didn't know how to win games. They came in to a team that was struggling to win games like that. But this team, as we saw versus Nevada, versus Louisiana State, they've now gritted out these wins versus some solid ball clubs. This was a top 10 team in the net rankings. This was a top 25 team in the APN coaches poll. I don't think the importance and the weight and the brevity of how important getting this win is, is being talked enough about K-State fans. Now, I understand. A lot of folks are were down in Louisiana. Uh, it was played at 6 p.m., on New Year's Eve, up against college football playoff games. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of stuff are kind of going against... Uh-oh. There's a Subaru commercial going on my phone. There we go. A lot of... The, the, I, the, this is not me attacking the fans. What, I, what I'm about to say, not attacking the fans. But I feel like as you scroll Twitter, as you scroll message boards, if you... We're talking in group chats. Um, people are sleeping on how important of a win this is. Not only is this a super, super quality win for when you're getting ready for the NCAA tournament, where you're getting ready for Selection Sunday, but this also is a win that shows this team a what a grind the Big 12 is, but B, how special they can be in big-time moments. 
I know it showed me a ton. I can't imagine, you know, the belief in that locker room. They have that belief. And I think that comes from the top down. I think uh, Chris Kleiman, this is, this is something Chris Kleiman had to do twice. I think he had to change the culture the first time when he came in to kind of put his stamp on the program after Bill Snyder. But I think when he wasn't able to be around to make sure his stamp was on these guys during COVID. Some, I'm not going to say bad actors, but some guys that they took some chances on. Uh, it just didn't work out when we saw how that season went. When he was able to be back around the players, get his stamp on these guys, be around them, and empower them, we saw the culture change and we saw it uh, hopefully not climax, hopefully it's not the peak, but just the beginning of what the football program can become. I think we've seen something very similar with Jerome Tang. He came in, he completely rebuilt the roster, had two guys and found 11 plus three more walk-ons plus basically an entire new coaching staff, only Curtis Kelly staying on as a GA. And while putting your stamp on the program and, and just trying to get your culture is so important, if you don't have the guys pick it up, take off, and run with it, you're not going to win games like that. You know, you're down to only truly, truly one big. And find a way to grit out a game like that is so impressive. Again, not only for the resume, but for what that is showing what this team can turn into. Now, there's plenty of things that you can criticize that you can take a look at and say all right is this sustainable you know red shirting drill colbert when you only had one true big and another guy who was learning how to play it with Bebe being your big and gusan learning to play it you know especially in games like yesterday and it would have been like this whether gusan was playing or not with all those fouls you start to Scratch your head. Okay, you know, is that the right decision? Tyke Green has lost a lot of confidence. And when your rotation is so short as is, you got to wonder what Jerome Tank can do to help get that back. Now, we came up big with a putback. And Ishmael gave 20 real hard minutes, grabbed some rebounds, grabbed five points. You know, both those guys gave it their all, and we needed everything from everyone. So I'm not, I mean, I really hope people aren't taking away anything except for how positive things can be. Um, But no one is without fault. No one has been perfect. But it is so encouraging to have all that, and you're still sitting 12-1 and currently, Tied at the top of the Big 12 having a laugh. So it is just gravely important. And I'm so glad uh, the game went our way. Now, as you guys are listening to this, we're playing Texas tonight, 8 p.m. You're playing with house money. You're playing with house money. I'll, I'll, I'll at least take a quick look at Texas Um, here in a second, but you're playing with house money. Going two and two 
every single week is going to be very important because if this team goes 9-9 in Big 12 play and say we get uh, the Florida game, we'd be what? 21-10 before we go to Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament, something like that. That's a 7 seed. That's maybe a 6 seed. That is going to be sitting very pretty when we go to Selection Sunday. So you're playing with house money versus Texas. Let's talk individual performances. Again, maybe one of the best performances uh, from Marquise Noel in his time at K-State. Um, he is 5 for 9 from 2 point, but 1 of 5 from 3. That's the only thing that was frustrating for Marquise Noel's night. Only one of five from three. But he goes 10 of 13 from the free throw line. 10 assists, seven steals. Three rebounds. But he was three steals away from a triple-double with points, assists, and steals. The guy is an absolute menace to society on defense. An absolute pit bull, Doberman, whatever you want to call it. He is the type of defender that would have worked perfectly back in those Frank Martin days. And it's going to work perfectly for the type of team that Jerome Tang wants to have this season. He does all that with only getting one foul. In a night where it seemed impossible not to get fouls called, he only had one foul called on him uh, while grabbing seven steals. 23 points, 10 assists, 7 steals, Three rebounds from Marquise Noel. This guy, not only for the quality of player uh, and the emotion he shows and the connection he made with the student body, but being the holdover, kind of being the uh, antithesis, the uh, mere, you know, the negative image or positive image, however you want to put it, of Nigel Pack. Both of them great players. Both of them undersized. One of them showing seemingly no emotion. The other one showing emotion in everything he does. One of them taking the money and run. The other one helping rebuild this program and and, and bring in a new era. For all of those reasons, I truly think Marquise Noel will be one of these cult hero type guys. He's, you know, he, he, I I don't think unless we go on a magical run, win a big 12 or go to the lead eight or something like that. I don't think he will hit legendary status, Uh, but he very well can be an all big 12 type player. I don't know if he'll be first team, uh, but I would imagine he's first or second team, all big 12. I think he might have a shot at defensive player of the year. Uh, but he is going to go down as one of those players uh, that is going to be forever fondly talked about. You know, he, he's going to be almost like a Clint Stewart, you know, from for my age group, you know. Clint Stewart, a little bit different being a four-year player, playing, you know, with three different coaches in his four years, but being the guy who helped usher and, you know, be the point guard that led into the new era. Now, Marquise Noel is scoring, assisting, and stealing the ball 
at a level Clint Stewart never did. He's doing it at a level that no one ever has. This guy is going to set a record for assists while averaging over 13 points a game. You know, he is going to have one of the most prolific single season steal seasons and two-year runs getting steals while doing all this other stuff. He is a completely unique player, and he is going to be, you know, just south of this legendary status that he could achieve if he leads his team on some runs, you know, come March. Whether it's a massive finish in the Big 12, whether it's cutting down the nets in Kansas City, whether it's getting to the second weekend, uh, Marquise Noel is that type of player. Speaking of that type of player, Keontae Johnson, again, uh, not quite 50% from the field, but 48% from the field. Uh, he was 0 of 3 from 3, but 6 of 10 you know, inside the arc. No one was hitting the three ball. He played 34 minutes, had six rebounds, had two more assists, 18 total points. He, and he played some good defense as well, all while carrying foul trouble the entire game. Keontae Johnson is the reason why, you know, Marquise Noel is the leader of this team. Uh, You know, Marquise Noel and Keontae, they'll go back and forth, I think, is who's going to be the leading scorer that day. But Keontae Johnson is the reason why we have a shot at making it to the NCAA tournament. He had an absolutely brilliant game. And I want to give a lot of credit to Jerome Tang and how he handled the foul situation. He started going offense for defense at stoppages in the first half. In a game that was being called the way it is was, with Keontae Johnson and Naquan Tomlin both having foul trouble, having two fouls very early in the game, the way he managed that was masterful. Again, I, I know so many folks disliked, no matter who it is, sitting players with two fouls in the first half. I understood it. Um, it's nothing I ever harped on. But that's not what Jerome Tang does. And Jerome Tang is creative with how he uses his substitutions. And he was able to get the most. I mean, what? Keontae Johnson ended up playing forty or 34 of the 45 minutes. Naquan Tomlin ended up playing 36 of the 45 minutes. Um, Desi Sills played 33. Marquise Noel played 43. Cam Carter, 22. Bebe, 22. Tyke 14-ish 21. But you play all those minutes all while in foul trouble. The creativity and how Jerome Tang managed that was an absolute masterclass. Naquan Tomlin, only 4 of 11 from the field. 3 of 8 from the free throw line. But he had two massive dunks that kept the energy going. He had 4 steals himself. Only grabbing three rebounds, though. So, 11 and three. And that is where I think some of the frustration is going to bubble up during the season with Naquan Tomlin. He is not a guy who wants to be down there banging on the boards or anything like that. That is not his game. That is not something he wants to do. He wants to be playing out on the perimeter, making plays, all that type of stuff. But when you have a 6'10 guy like that, only grabbing three rebounds in a game where you get absolutely murdered on the boards. 
That's a, that, that's a bit of a tough look. But ultimately, he had some dunks that changed the atmosphere inside the arena, ending up with 11 points that you really need. You love it. Sadly, Cam Carter had one of the... Uh, he had a rough night. 0 of 8 from the field. Um, he didn't get to the free throw line. I think he's the only guy in the entire game, I guess, ish, and Desi Sills didn't get to the free throw line. Didn't get to the free throw line. Um, four total rebounds, two assists, three fouls. He was okay on defense, um, but but Cam Carter uh, struggling. He is slumping a little bit. Um, you got to hope that he can find it because you're going to. There's going to be a game this season. Where if we win, it's going to be because of Cam Carter. And he needs to kind of snap out of this little slump and find ways to contribute, find ways to score the ball um, and not let that 0 of 8 get to you. I do think in games like that, especially the way they were calling it, he should have tried to force the issue to get to the free throw line, to get to the rim. Um, Just could not get it going. Uh, and then the surprise of the game in the starting lineup, I we, we got in right before the intro videos and all that type of stuff, so I didn't see warmups, uh, so I, I wasn't uh, I, I didn't really notice Gusan wasn't even on the bench until uh, I think ten minutes into the first half. But Bebe Igiola, uh, no, I'm just calling him Bebe, uh, with his far and away best game as a K State Wildcat, fourteen points. Eight rebounds, one block. He does foul out. He does have one turnover. But absolutely massive game from Bebe. He was the one who truly kind of got the offense going. He hit everything at the rim. Six of seven from the field. Played solid defense. Led the team in rebounds. Uh, it, It was a banner day for Bebe. And we're going to need it again versus Texas. We're going to need him to be big time in all Big 12 games. Am I expecting 14 points and 8 rebounds from him every single game? No. Am I even expecting 22 minutes from him every game? Probably not. But what he was able to do on the floor um, might have ultimately been the difference between winning and losing this game. Massive game from the young man from Nigeria. So glad he is a K-State Wildcat. I think he's going to have massive impact down the stretch. Now, guys off the bench, Ish Masood, like I said, 21 points. He fouled out. Two rebounds. Um, He was out there giving it his all. Two of five from the field. He hit one of only the three three three-pointers that we had in the game, which came at a massive point. Um, I'm just glad he was able to get out there. Um, Well... I don't actually I take it back. I don't know if I'm glad, if I'm being honest. The he he gave it his all and we know we know Jerome Tank doesn't have a problem sitting you if you're not giving it all in practice. So you know that uh Ishmasud is playing better in practice. But he just I, I just don't know what his role is um, if, if he's going to be playing 22 minutes. Now, hopefully we're not in a lot of games where we're having to, you know, have a ton of foul trouble. 
Hopefully David Gusan comes back. Um, because he, he, he struggles on defense. Uh, you know, he's, he's not great at guarding the five, four, or three. Um, so he's not great on defense. He's, I mean, he, he went 40% from the field. He did hit one of his two threes. He has the ability to shoot the ball. I just have a hard time seeing how he fits into this defensive system. Um, but I'm glad he was out there and willing to, you know, bang around and play. Tyke Green, we saw him re- return to the floor uh, 14 minutes. Um, he had two of the worst free throw attempts I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but he did grab five rebounds in those 14 minutes. I mean, I, I believe that's probably about as good as anyone did, you know, rebounds per minutes played. So I was very happy with that. He gave energy. Um, he, he is athletic. He only had two shots up there. Um, and again, I, I think the kid is lacking a little confidence. His putback right underneath the rim, that, what, that came at a very massive moment. His one field goal came at a very massive moment. But I think the kid is lacking a lot of confidence. I don't know how you get that back, but we need it. Because, you know, we don't have a lot of depth. We don't. I mean, at most we have a nine-man rotation. And I've kind of already, you know, documented, you know, my thoughts on, you know, what Ish is on the defensive side of the ball. So Tyke Green getting his swagger back, getting a little bit of confidence, I think would be massive for this team because he's six foot four and hyper athletic. I hope he can find that because again, similar to Cam Carter, maybe not. There might not be a Big Twelve game where we win because hey, Tyke Green was the player of the game, but we're desperately going to need him. The next time we're in a situation where it turns into a foul fest. We're going to need him to give us more than 14 minutes the next time that game pops up. But ultimately, again, I, I do not want to dwell on the negatives. This was a massive win. Uh, this could be, again, depending on how the season plays out, out, this could be the game that you find yourself on the right side of the bubble winning this one. So, I'm ecstatic, I'm pumped. The Big 12 is going to be insane. We saw Iowa State put it down on Baylor. We saw Texas go to the wire with Oklahoma. We saw KU down by like 14 or something in the first half at home versus Oklahoma State and needed a... uh, an Allen Fieldhouse no call right at the buzzer uh, to w- to win the game. This is going to be a wide open Big 12. TCU only winning by six at home versus uh, Texas Tech. Again, there isn't a single game on the schedule that is impossible to win. And there isn't a single guaranteed win on the schedule. Big 12 basketball, every single game is going to be must-watch TV. The midweek games uh, on Monday, 6 p.m. Uh, on ESPNU. West Virginia looking to bounce back, going to Stillwater. Tuesday, two games at 8 p.m. K-State at Texas. KU at Texas Tech. 
on Wednesday, Iowa State at Oklahoma and TCU at Baylor, 8 p.m. on Wednesday night. And then the Saturday slate, K-State at Baylor at 5 p.m., Texas at Oklahoma State, 11 a.m., Iowa State at TCU, 1 p.m., KU at West Virginia, 5 p.m., and Oklahoma at Texas Tech at 6 p.m. That's the Big 12 slate. Um, I don't... I mean, we'll touch on K-State versus Texas real quick. Texas, I think, has the most talent. I don't think. Texas has the most talent uh, in the Big 12. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Marcus Carr, who is a senior from Tech, or from uh, Canada, he's averaging close to 18 points a game. You have Tyrese Hunter. He's above 10 points a game. Timmy Allen above 10 points a game. You know, they are a team that is athletic. They're a team that can defend. They're going to be a tough team. You know, the stuff going on with Chris Beard. I mean, they killed Stanford. You know, they they went to overtime. The day happened with Rice. I think everyone's thinking, all right, you know, Texas is in trouble. Then they beat Stanford by 10, beat Louisiana by 28, beat Texas A&M Commerce by 25, and then they win by one on the road at Oklahoma in basketball. Um, You know, they're undefeated. They hit the ground running uh, after they kind of shook off those cobwebs. Uh, Is Oklahoma going to be any good this year? I don't know. Uh, but again, it's a it's a Big Twelve season where um, anything can happen. And again, Texas's defense is great. Maybe the best. Eh, I was gonna say maybe the best defense in the Big Twelve. I don't know if I would go that far. But they're tough. I mean, they they, they beat Creighton. They went to overtime with Illinois. That was one of their losses. What was their other loss? Was that it? Yeah, that's their only loss. Overtime with Illinois. So, uh, folks, I mean, it's it's going to be an absolute brawl. Um, we're going to see how this team can operate these next two games. Again, I I, I think Baylor uh, losing that game versus Iowa State. I think, well, I guess their other loss is a close one to Gonzaga. They got blown out by Marquette. Woof. Woof. Lost by seven, Virginia. They're obviously not going to be. Oh no, they beat Gonzaga. They beat Gonzaga by one. So obviously they're not going to. They're. I don't think they're a Final Four type contender. Um, they're probably going to drop out of the top fifteen. I'm not sure, but but we're going going to see how this team can react on the road. Versus top 20 teams. Versus top 5 teams in the Big 12. Um, we, we saw how much they struggled at Butler. Um, gritting out a win versus what is turning out to be a very, 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 very bad Cal team. Um, so we're going to see what this, what, what this team has. If they're able to pull off one of these road wins, if they're able to beat Texas or Baylor on the road, uh, look out. 
I, I'm telling the rest of the Big 12 to look out because if they're able to get a top 20 road win in game number two or game number three, uh, watch out. Jerome Tang is going to be a force to be reckoned with for rest of his career if he can do that in year one. If they can make that improvement from late November um, where they had that road game versus Butler where they struggled so mightily, look out. Look out. Ultimately, though, getting that game versus West Virginia, that that was massive. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not predicting a, a win uh, in the next two. Uh, but you're going to have a winnable game versus Oklahoma State, you know, a week from Tuesday. Uh, so getting back to 2-2 two and two, um, is going to be massive. If, if you come out of these first four games at 2-2, two and two, it will be massive. We will be on schedule to be going to the NCAA tournament. That needs to be the goal. I'm not saying not hope for more, but if you go 2-2, two and two, Every four games. If you go 500 in Big 12 play, then you grab that win versus Florida. Folks, we're going to be kicking our feet back and just relaxing on Selection Sunday. Can't wait for the game tonight versus Texas. Make sure you take it in while drinking a delicious Manhattan Brewing Company uh, beer. Be on the lookout on Twitter. We might just, there just might be a, a Twitch stream out there. If you don't have Longhorn Network, just keep your eyes out. Uh, but that's all we have. Happy New Year. Uh, you know, I think, you know, a lot of folks are getting back into the office today. Uh, you know, after a long holiday break, I know that is me. So I hope everyone is back in the office uh, taking things head on in the year 2023. So for Chauncey Bosco, the Wonder Pup, the best dog in the world and co-host, we love you guys and go Cats. It's time to get set for the cat attack. You can feel the excitement. You can feel it coming on. For Kansas State, the feeling's growing strong. You can join in the action. This is where you want to be. With Kansas State, come on, set your spirit free. Kansas State. Our pride is with the cats. Kansas State, come on, join the cat attack. Kansas State, excitement's in the air. Kansas State, the fun is being there. Having a good time there. Purple and white we share. Showing our colors Podcast Network.